This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is worth more than Dogecoin. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me is the straw man himself, Andrew Page. G'day, mate. How are you? Very good, sir. Very good. Uh, you agree with that? We're worth more than Dogecoin, aren't we? Uh, I think As most things. Crypto expert. Most things are probably worth more than Dogecoin, <laughs> <laughs> but certainly us. <laughs> Something else in particular, which I'm going to keep our readers in suspense over. Uh, our readers, our listeners, how am I going, mate? Um, you are you are the managing director and founder of Strawman.com. Uh, I I have possibly I can't remember if I've asked you this question before. I may have in the past once or twice. What what is Strawman again? <laughs> I thought yeah, I thought you the, the the penny had dropped there, but I'm happy, <laughs> happy to remind. Um, I'm not that smart. I'm not that smart. <laughs> We're an online investment club, my friend. There you go. Uh, we're now almost 700 members strong hey. in our little inner circle. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, just just um, trying to make our way in the world in this crazy market and um, find a few good opportunities and hopefully avoid a few blow-ups. Making our way in the world today takes everything we've got, mate, as, <laughs> as the good people at Cheers would tell us, and I, exactly. I, I like that approach. That's a, that's a smart thing to do. For those who don't know, those few who don't know, The Motley Fool does investment advice. And together, uh, we are The Motley Fool Money Podcast. Andrew Page, of course, is a former Motley Fool employee before going off to make his fortune uh, running his own business, which <laughs> we are super supportive of and, and really proud of him. Uh, but I'm stoked that he's come back to rejoin us at the podcast for the last, mate, almost must be a year, I think, since you've been back. It's not really new anymore, is it? I know. Yeah, it's been a while. That's terrific. Anyway, if you're new to the podcast, that's who we are. That's who Andrew is. That's who Strawman is, an online investment club, apparently. <laughs> I'm contractually obliged to say that or under pain of death. No, not really. <laughs> Just, uh, you know what? I, I've said before, I'll say again, there are plenty of bad actors in the finance industry. Uh, I reckon the Motley Fool and Straw Man are two of the very best in the business. I'm absolutely biased, but uh, if you're interested in finding a little bit more about investing, you want to make your own way, uh, there are many, 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 many worse options than either fool.com.au or strawman.com. Uh, by the way, the Motley Fool has no formal affiliation with Strawman, I should, I should disclose, just because I do give you a rap every time. Mate, I'm doing it out of kindness and because you are <laughs> kind enough to to join me on the podcast and you deserve a rap uh, as a result. But um, well, Maybe yeah, maybe maybe a merger will happen you know, down the you track. You never know, we'll Straw Fool or <laughs> Fool Man. Or, we'll, we'll work on something, mate. We'll, we'll, get get, the, we'll work it out. We'll get the M&A teams on it. You get your M&A team on it, I'll get ours on it and we'll see what we can come up with. <laughs> no deal. Mate, um, let's, let's get another podcast after this rambling start. Uh, I can't go past the biggish news of the week. Oh, man, I, I was going to say biggest news of the week. What isn't big news this week? We've had floods, we've had wars, we've had interest rates, we've had petrol, we've had all sorts of things. Uh, I have spent yesterday uh, cleaning out the bottom of my house thanks to some floodwaters. Um, but the big economic news, the biggest economic new news of the week was RBA Governor Philip Lowe. Again, another speech, another presentation. Uh, we all sit in the front of our chairs, lean forward and wait for the oracle to share uh, his expertise with us so we can try and work out what might come next. The RBA, mate, are really, really, I don't know what the right word is, disciplined, serious, intent on keeping rates low. Low, <laughs> Governor Low this time, saying that rate increases are plausible. Or it's plausible there might be rate increases in 2022. Mm. Everyone else in the market is factoring these things in from March, from May, from September, from August. Going to go up, going to go up. Maybe by as much as 1%, the bond market's still expecting a massive rise. And Lowe's out there going, guys, I, I keep telling you, you don't listen. This is not changing. Rates are where they are. We're not going to increase rates. We want to see wages growth. Yeah, there's inflation pressures, but we're sitting pat. And I, I'm, I'm both, uh, I both admire that approach and I'm also... <laughs> I used the. I spoke to Steve Price this morning on on Listener, and I used the um, used the analogy that the, the road between the, the path between on one side high out of control inflation, and on the other side economic uh, 
stagnation because rates go up too quickly, that gap between those two scenarios is getting narrowed by the day, it seems, mate, because yeah. we'll talk about fuel price in a minute, but price are going up all over the joint. Costs are going up all over the joint. We talked about that last week. Um, so the inflation genie is out of the bottle. On the other hand, the wages growth they want isn't happening. The economic growth seems like it's kind of picking up, but again, we've had floods this week. We've got uncertainty from the war in Ukraine. They're two really, really big opposite forces. Yeah. The RBA trying to gently kind of, you know, ballet shoes on, dance its way between them. It's a, it's a really I, – I, I'm glad I'm not them. I've got to say, I, I know people give the RBA heaps. Um, I, 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 I choose not to mostly because they are really, really decent, serious people trying their absolute best to do their right thing by the economy. But, man, the degree of difficulty keeps going up, doesn't it? Oh, it, it, it's it's insanely high. And we've mentioned it before. It's just such a yeah. blunt instrument. you got one lever, one lever yeah. to pull. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Up, yeah. down, or no, oh, it's neutral, exactly. Yeah. I mean, again, it's it's really hard not to wander into the realm mm. of politics here, but I, I do wish that there was yeah. more from the um, the fiscal supply uh, side I of things, um, policy side of things. That, that's That's got a lot more nuance and, and uh, uh, ability that, that's there. Mm. But, yeah, mm. in terms of the RBA, it's tough. <clears throat> I think the big fear – is um, if anyone hasn't heard this word before, is is stagflation. Oh, stag- back to the eighties. So I, I knew my uni time would come in handy eventually, mate. <laughs> Study history, everyone. For, yeah, yeah. Whether it's in markets or in just in everything, it's so it's such a great uh, teacher. Mm. But say stagflation is this concept of inflation without growth. So often, yeah. when you get in, a runaway inflation, it's because the the economy's too hot. The prices are going up, but you know where everything's going up. But this is this is a scenario where there's actually prices are going up, but economic activity isn't going anywhere. Wages aren't going anywhere, and I think that's that's the real problem here. And it's difficult too because this this inflation that we're fighting is mm-hmm. is some of it has got really nothing to do with interest rates <laughs> yeah, whatsoever. That's right. Like right. Russia is the third largest oil producer. Look at what's happened yeah. to the price of oil. I mean, yeah. oil is if, oil. Petrol is one is a one of the uh, is uh, one of the biggest expenses for households, for businesses, yeah, for the bigger. economy. As as you've said previously, yes, okay, it makes it makes it more expensive at the bowser, but it, it impacts the price of anything that is transported. Mm. Um, so it's 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 really it's a diabolically tough situation, and it could get a lot worse before it gets better. So. Yeah. I, here's the, here's a bit of irony for you. I feel as though, so we're recording this on Thursday morning. Uh, US mm-hmm. markets up strongly overnight. Yeah. No, not just strongly, mate. Up two point six percent overnight. Not not point eight, point nine, one and a half. Like stupid big. Yeah, go on. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 absolutely a massive move. Like mm. from the start of this year, with everything that's happened, the Aussie market's only down about eight percent. Yeah, uh, top to bottom. And I feel as though part. So so. Uh, the big narrative up until uh, the invasion was was interest rates. Yep. Now we've got now we've got soaring fuel prices. We've got all this geopolitical uncertainty, et cetera, et cetera. Commodity price influences, uh, mm. wheat prices. Yeah, you know, all of this. It's huge, huge. And what that I think what that's done in the mind of a lot of investors is say, well, maybe interest rate moves are a little less. Uh, uh, yeah, increases are a, a little less. Um, there's a little less impetus for that now. Yeah. So yeah. As, ba- as bad and as scary as everything is, the the silver lining, if I can call it that, it's hard to say that given all the yeah, misery and not- suffering and death and all of that out there. But I, I feel it, at a level, the market is going well. At, at least that at least that is supportive of prices. Yeah. Um, because because in that environment, the, the the RBA, various central banks will be less likely to put up rates to the extent that they would have otherwise. Mm. And that's the hard part, right? This is this is the 
you know, I think we're, we've, we haven't had inflation for 20 or 30 years, any significant inflation. And I think many people, as you say, back to the stagflation learnings of the 80s, many people have kind of forgotten the ugly reality of times like these when you have to choose between prices going up or mortgage repayments going up. <laughs> because yeah. you know, like it's there, there is no there's, there's no kind of like oh that's going we'll put the other one down to balance it out. It's literally a case of hey, inflation's out of control, and that's costing you more at the petrol station, at the store, at the whatever, literally across your life. Mm. So we're going to fix it by making you pay more on your mortgage, yeah. and that's brutal, right? Because you're getting whacked both sides. Yep. But it is unfortunately, at least if the economic orthodoxy of the last couple of centuries holds true, it is the best tool to at least try and control it. What I what I think is interesting though is. I'm hopeful to some degree that inflation is its own cure mm. because when prices go up, what does it mean? Well, it means you can't spend on other things, which is exactly what rates do as well. Mm. So to some degree, you know, it does take some money out of the economy, but we know if it gets carried away, it's actually the wage price feedback loop that actually can cause the problem, right? So prices go up 4%, so I want a 4% wage increase. So then the cost of a business go up, so they put weight prices up further. Mm. And that, that, that's what, you know, the, the Hawke Keating government way back in 83 effectively broke the back off with the wages accord. And I'm not going to get into economic theory or history, although it's fascinating if you're slightly inclined. One of my favourite subjects at uni was Australian economic history, by the way. Really mm. enjoyed it. Fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Um, but the accord was the the circuit breaker to stop that feedback loop actually making inflation a whole lot worse. Yeah. And yes, rates went up. They famously went up at the end of the 1980s as well in a very different way, in a different move. But it, it does require that kind of circuit breaker somewhere, somehow, if wages don't increase, or even if they do, and the challenge for the RBA is they want wage price increases, and we all want that as employees. You may not as a, as a business owner, but the rest of us do. Uh, mm. But uh, if if or when they do go up, that that kind of feeds into inflation itself. It's a really really difficult problem. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess I say dia- diabolically hard. And another yeah. reason as to why there needs to be more of a uh, policy response yeah. too. Yeah. Um, with all of this kind of stuff. So yeah, it's 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 going to be a fascinating. Next few years, uh, yeah. I feel. I, part of my worry, I think, as an investor is you know, I had a pretty good run. I think a lot of investors had a pretty yes. good run there yes. for a while. And I'd like to sort of put that down to my sheer genius. Um, <laughs> and, you know, let's be honest, it's obviously a big part of it. <laughs> Just joking. But, <laughs> Most, but, almost all of it, really. I mean, well, yeah. I think, I think it, I've had a lot of conversations with investors where, you know, you, you buy a, a, a company, mm. you've got an investment thesis. And it plays out reasonably well in terms of what you expected the business to do. That's really nice. That's what that's yeah. what we're all trying to do. The the honest truth of it though is that a big part of the returns, I think, particularly if you were in a more of a growthy environment, mm. came from multiple expansion. So you had businesses undeniably did well. You know, they might have been mm. growing their, their top line at 10, 15, 20% per year for a few <laughs> years. That's great. Great for share prices. But at the same time, you went from an environment I'm talking, talking over a multi, multi-year period here that where the mark, do you remember, you and I are old enough to remember that buying a company on a price to sales multiple of five was just insane. Mm. And then toward, in the last couple of years, we sort of saw a lot of billion dollar tech companies up at 20 times multiples as well. So, so what I'm saying here is, is that a lot of investors did a very, very well for a long time. And not to take credit away because a lot of the underlying businesses did well, but a big part of it, of those returns, was that multiple expansion. The market just prepared to pay higher for every dollar of sales or earnings or whatever benchmark you want to use. Mm. I feel as though that's where the world is changing right now, yeah. very much driven by interest rates. Yeah. Um, and and also and also other other factors as well. So it's kind of like, although markets, particularly in some of these areas, have really fallen away. 
Mm. I'm actually not convinced that things are super cheap at the moment. Um, I, I feel as though what you've seen is you've seen a, a reversion to the mean, as a mathematician would say, in terms of these multiples, <laughs> which brings it back to what something is more reasonable, more sensible. And even if your view of the company is unchanged, you might need to have some different expectations mm-hmm. in, in things getting back to 20 times sales multiple anytime mm. soon. I don't know. What do I, you think? No, I, I, just, I was just thinking through that. It's, it's uh, The problem with any, any analysis of, of past events is it assumes that we've reached the final point by definition. Mm. You have mm. to start by saying, well, that was now, but now we're here. Look what's changed since then. And... It assumes that the current reality is right. And, you know, at some point, Woolworth shares were $2 and they were $40 and they were $20 and now they're $40 again. And so, you know, when, yeah. when do you draw the line out of that and say, this is the result? I think you're exactly right, by the way. It was, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, actually. But so my temptation is to say that I think when money was easy and, and optimism was in the ascendancy, I won't say euphoria, but optimism tending towards euphoria, mm. everything went up because everything went up because everything went up. Mm. And we all drank the Kool-Aid and it was all fine. And there is a reckoning, at least potentially, for investors who ignored fundamentals and felt like they were just geniuses because the prices were going up. Oh, and yeah. that they became their own justifications and that any multiple of earnings, any multiple of sales is okay because look at the story. Um, and, you know, really That's 1999 writ large, right? Right, That's, isn't it? Yep. And so I'm not, we weren't there in terms of valuation, I don't think, although some people did say it with, there was a market in a bigger bubble than tech. I think that's a hard one to argue. But um, there, there is some reality of, hey, when rates normalise, when investor expectations normalise, when sentiment returns to some sort of, you know, more balanced level, there isn't much underpinning some of those businesses. Now, oh, yeah. you, talk about, you talk about the tech crash. Amazon, I, I own shares, full disclosure, went from nine to 3,000 over, you know, before, during and after the tech crash. And so it doesn't mean just because shares fall, they can't go higher. What it does, I think, is it, it kind of, it's a wheat from chaff exercise. Yeah. Everything will fall. Amazon did fall, by the way, and the tech crash got smashed. Amazon.bomb was the, was mm. the, the headline and Barron's, the, the business publication in the US. So it happens. But those that rise from the ash are the ones with genuine businesses and those who don't, recover are the ones for whom the idea was a nice one the revenue was okay but never really got traction i think in the good times it's easy to believe every business could possibly based on some assumptions do really really well yep the reality is we know that darwinian capitalism says you know what great ideas most of them won't work or at least a large chunk won't work and those that do they'll be middling and okay and decent and pretty good results and some will be spectacular and some will be awful. Mm. But it, but for the last couple of years, I think it's, you know, anything anything .com almost, the same kind of, as you say, .com rise, anything with a, a tech, a SaaS business model was like, well, hey, to the moon, we're off and yeah. on racing here. Yep. And, um, and that, go on. Sorry. That, that's why I guess the, the nub of the point here is I think mm. I, I actually hear sensible uh, reasoning mm. coming out from a lot of people. They'll say, oh, this is a good buying opportunity. Yeah. And I think I think I love I love the approach I love the thinking but my word of caution here is in twofold one in the point you're making which is well if there's nothing really solid underpinning these businesses you know there's there's it's going to be very hard for them to get back to former highs just yeah. just on this this massive return of sentiment but I would add to that and I guess my point is is that even the company even where there are solid fundamental underpinnings um, I think a lot of these former highs will take a long time to reach. Because that was that those former highs were a consequence of yes, the business doing well and having good prospects, but also the market valuing that much higher than it is today. So you can actually have a completely unchanged outlook for the business, but mm. the market 
and the interest rate environment just being one of which is like, yes, this is a really great business with bright prospects. We think a five-time sales multiple is fair in that instance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas before it was a 10 times multiple or whatever it, whatever it happened to be. So I think, I think as always, and we say this all the time, which is look for value, look for cheapness. Absolutely, that's your job mm-hmm. as an investor. But don't base your notion of cheapness on the fact that something may be down 30, 40, 50, 60%. It's not cheap because of that. It's cheap because of how it sits in relation to future earnings expectations and a reasonable assumption of what a market multiple may be. I, so I'm just basically saying, don't 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 assume that that um, these multiples we enjoyed in the re- in the recent mm. years are mm. likely to come back anytime soon. I don't know, of course, but I just think it's I think it's always reckless to have mm. that as a key underpinning of your investment thesis that the market's just going to be in a really good mood next year. So I, I tend to take it as one of these things is like, yeah, great business. I think it's got good upside. I think I think it can sustain these kinds of multiples, et cetera, et cetera. Hey, if it, if it ends up being twice or three times what I assume, <laughs> this is a great problem to have. That's exactly yeah. the kind of situation yeah, right, exactly. I'm happy exactly. to be wrong yeah. on. And I'd far yeah. rather be wrong on that than the person who says, yes, I think, you know, X, Y, Z should trade at a 20 times multiple because yeah. earnings are going to double and then earnings double, but, but the multiple's half of what you assumed. So you've got to, you've got to are, be careful right. with that. And that's where I think things are sort of likely to be different in the, in the coming years. Mm. We are uh, way off topic and I'm glad we are because this is a fascinating conversation. So let me, let me ask you the, the devil's advocate question, mate. You yep. say you'd rather be wrong missing the opportunity than buying something that sucks. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you the, the reverse argument on this one, which is that returns from stocks and particularly growth stocks are massively asymmetrical. Yep. The upside is effectively unlimited. No, not with nothing, nothing grows to the sky, but you know, close to unlimited. The downside is limited to 100%. So if you can find the next Amazon, or you've mentioned before a company you own, Prometicus, or the next whatever, you can afford. You could have afforded to buy. I don't know how much you're up now on Prometicus. I'm going to say 20 complete duds that went broke. At least, as long as you at least bought Prometicus as well. Yeah. And so the argument would go, and this is not my view, as as you well know, but. If you think through that um, that logic, it, some people will be saying right now, and not, not, not without justification, hey, I hear you, but geez, if I can find the next Amazon, the next ProMedicus, the next Fortescue, the next CSL, the next Afterpay, the next whatever, yep. and, you know, easy, easy examples to give, but yep. uh, does that not give you some pause to say, I'd rather overpay and at least be on the train than underpay, feel like I was smart in air quotes, but missed out on making a fortune because I said, oh, my Amazon can be worth $3,000 or after I can be worth $150 or whatever else goes with that. How do you kind of square those two thoughts in your mind? Yeah, it's an excellent question. So that is actually very much how I invest. Um, I, I I talked a little bit last week about the Kelly criterion. You did. Another, another thing to look up is expected value formulas, mm-hmm. you know. I love expected value. Uh, it's really great. Like just so very, very quickly, you just times, you just sort of say, a very simple example, you might say there's a 50% chance of a 50% fall. Yep. And there's a 50% chance of, of, of a stock going up 5x. Yep. Now, you do the maths on that and it's a, it's a positive <laughs> result. I can't do yes. it in my head. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, glad you said that. It's actually not that hard, but I should be able to. But anyway, it's too yeah, early yeah, in the morning. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, you should do that because yeah. you know that when you – here's the key thing. When you when you roll that dice enough, mm. statistically it's going to come out very favourable yes, for you. exactly. So yeah. I do that. I actually do that a lot. You know, I've had friends and that give me grief about some of the companies I've owned. I was oh, down 50%, you know, you must yeah. have egg on your face. Like actually – that's that's not a that's not a bug. That's a feature. That's exactly I how I invest. Point. It's exactly yep. how I invest. Yeah, I'm trying to look for massive asymmetry. Such a good point. And I'm trying. Look, if I can have a twenty stock portfolio and three or four of them go exceptionally well, I'm. I really don't care what happens to the rest of it. So you're right. <laughs> you're right yeah. to put that point out there. But but at the same time, I don't think that just gives you license just to buy into any speculative <laughs> rubbish. You've still yeah. got to have a very high quality filter, and I think you still need to have an mm. eye for value. So mm. there there are. Um, I don't know. I'll give you an ex- example of a company that I still own a bit of. It's called uh, Pointera, mm. a tiny little company. Mm-hmm. do geospatial data collection. Anyway, it's really interesting. And I loved it. I just fell in love with the thing. I was buying with, you know, as much as I could with uh, my ears pinned back at less than 10 <laughs> cents. The thing got to 90 cents, right? Wow. Now, don't Hold think on. I'm, don't think, no, well, don't think I'm, I sold, I sold out most of it well on the, before that. And the point was, is that nothing in that terms of that business has changed other than perhaps it's, it's just continued to execute. You know, the, the, right. the results that they deliver just gone strength to strength to strength. But it never made sense. 50 yeah. cents, let, 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 let alone 90 cents, you know, on yeah, the way right, up. Right, right, but so, so, so you've got to have a, a view on that. So, so mm, someone, mm. If, if just take the most simplistic interpretation of what you're saying, is just like, oh, buy some of that. Something that's at like literally 300 times sales. It's like it, there's no scenario, like how well does that business have to do for you still to go well? You need to yeah. have, you, you don't, you don't want to be this, hyper-specific um, value dude who's got, you know, 12 decimal places on a valuation and you sell out, you know, 5% either side. That's stupid. Mm-hmm. But, 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 but at a point, um, it, it's just not going to make sense no matter how wonderful the business. So, you, yeah. so you're right to say all of that kind of stuff. Just, just don't, don't, throw, don't throw valuation out the window ever. I like it. Good point. Good point. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, look, I am not. I'm not a hyper growth investor. I, I, I am. I am never going to be allowed into the growth investors club because I think price to sales is the most stupid metric I've ever heard of, and I don't mind saying that. I have colleagues who love it, and I. That's completely up to them. Uh, price to sales makes zero, absolutely, literally zero sense because you're not going to ever bank return on sales. You're going to bank return on profitability, and so it's got to have, to my mind, you can think about how big it might get sales-wise and then you can think about how much margin it might make then how much profit it might make and then try and work that out. Uh, but it, it just uh, it drives me completely bananas when talk about price to sales because uh, price to sales is fine but a business that has an 80% net margin and a business has a 4% net margin are very, very different economic beasts. And when oh, yeah. they're both trading at price sales of eight times, yeah. There's no they're, they're, it, the PEs are very different under that. They're not even yeah. different. It's different planets, different galaxies, different universes, different whatever is bigger than universes. Like it's just not even close. And the shortcut of oh, we'll just do a price size of X, I find just horribly, horribly, horribly. I don't know if they're deluding themselves, each other. I don't. You know, it just it drives me nuts. I, get, nuts. I, I know I I'm on my you. own there, but no, you're not. No, you're not. I, I look. I think I, I use it a, well. Sometimes you have to use it because there's no earnings or cash flow. <laughs> so, you know, you, you need a benchmark to, to sort of look at it. But it's like the PE ratio. PE ratio is great. But it's – it's it's it, context matters a yeah. lot. And so these are wonderful shortcut heuristics, but they only really ever work when you've got good context. So in, so in your example – um, you know, what are the actual margins likely to be like? Um, yeah. You know, yeah. so it's, I, I, so I take your point entirely and I think anyone who bases it 
any kind of valuation on a, on a simple multiple, even a PE, is is diluting yes, that's themselves. True. That's true. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, so without yep. the context, so yep. you, you could say, oh, PE of ten, how cheap is that? It's like, well, <laughs> no, not ne- know. Yeah, you know, right. not necessarily for a business whose earnings are dropping yep. by twenty percent every year. So, so con- you're right. Yeah. But but I think if you have the proper context, mm-hmm. it's just it's a us- it's a useful shortcut. Just don't rely on it solely. I'm still not sure it's not an unuseful shortcut because it has to mean something, right? It's got to be a shortcut for some future earnings or something, doesn't it? I mean, it's yeah. Is eight time is eight time sales good or bad? So I I, I don't know. yeah <laughs> no 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 I, I I well it depends, doesn't it? Mm. So so if if it's eight time sales for a. Uh, High capital intensive manufacturing business mm, mm. that's ever only likely to grow at ten percent a year at, at most. Then yeah, it's insane. If it's a capital light software business that has vast operating leverage and really huge gross margins, that's able to mm. scale without increasing its cost base, has a huge addressable market, massive sales momentum, huge first mover advantage. You know, I think I think that that's when you can sort of that, that's when you can sort of put it in a bit more context. And and you can use that as a bit of a a, a proxy. Mm. Um, again, I mean, look, you can, it's each to their own. There's no right or wrong way with this. You you, you can just go, go the extra step. It's your point. You can say, well, I don't like that, so I'm just going to say, right. here's my guess for sales. Here's my guess of margin. I'll use a PE because that's what I prefer. No, no, nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But I, I'm I'm sort of saying if if you've got all of that context, it's kind of mm. you know, it's it's kind of a, a similar thing. Mm. Not going to convince you, probably, but ah, <laughs> uh, look, I, uh, I think you're right about the then what? It's just a, a business, even even a land for those examples. You have the software company that has a final margin of ten percent and a final margin of twenty percent. Mm. All those being equal, and it's never always equal. One of those businesses is worth twice as much as the other business yeah. at the same sales multiple, and still, I, 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 I don't know, it's a, I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. Otherwise, I'll just rant, mate. Um, let's go back. I want to go back to to Russia and, and oil and and all that sort of stuff. Seeing reports today of petrol possibly as high as two dollars fifty a liter, mm. which is just brutal as a as an idea. Um, but also, we've seen really really volatile oil prices. We'll talk about other commodities in a minute. Um, I uh, a couple. I'll, I'll give you a couple of thoughts actually. Then I'll, I'll ask you a question. I am far from sure that things are this bad and are going to remain this bad. And let me let me explain why. Two things. First things first. The current oil price is being set by futures traders in front of computer screens in some fancy offices in Shanghai and London and New York and Sydney and Singapore, right? Because what we're seeing now is the futures market betting on what the price will have to be to get oil physically at some future point based on some supply-demand characteristic. Mm-hmm. So it's not even literally de- delivered oil right now, just as when we saw uh, during the worst of COVID a negative oil prices because I'm trying to you know, work out how they're going to put this stuff somewhere because I had it out of the ground, didn't have enough tanks for it. Right. Get, I want to get rid of it because we, you know, otherwise we've got to get rid of it somewhere. I forgot about that, yeah. So this is, all, this is all financial trading, right? So it'll impact the price because it flows through, but it's kind of... It's, it's, it's a little bit house of cards, a little bit kind of, you know, all theoretical esoteric and the reality of what actually gets delivered at what price a different question. So there's kind of that in my head. Um, the other one to my mind, mate, is these sanctions only work if Russian oil is literally stranded in Russia. Mm. And it's kind of like the same argument with China and iron ore, right? So let's, let's, say, let's say China gets the urits with Australia and says, we're not going to buy your iron ore anymore. Mm-hmm. We're going to buy it from Brazil instead. Okay, fine. 
But that, that wouldn't so, happen because we've got really great leaders who wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't poke a bear like that. But please continue. That's, all, that's also possible. Also a very different story and I happen to agree with you. <laughs> but even if it did, even if it did, China buys Venezuela's iron ore instead of as Brazil's iron ore instead of ours, right? Which is fine. Uh, but Venezuela, oh, I keep saying Venezuela. Brazil, I've got oil in my brain. Brazil doesn't have that much more iron ore available all of a sudden. So they're going to have to shortchange some other customer to supply China. And that other customer says... Where can I get some iron ore? And Australia says, hey, we've got some China doesn't want anymore. How about you take ours? Mm. And so this merry-go-round means that in total, the amount of iron ore consumed globally is the same. The amount of iron ore mined is going to be roughly the same. The price ends up being, with maybe small exceptions for quality or distance or shipping costs or something, roughly the same. And so I kind of get the concept of when the UK and the US don't buy Russian oil anymore, uh, 16% of the oil, world's oil and gas goes away, therefore prices must go up. Mm. And I just don't know that I believe it. I don't know that the logic... Now, gas is different because gas has to be piped. So, you know, Russian gas into Germany for heating, I absolutely get that. That's a, that's a one-way story. We're not going to be sending any gas from Australia to, Russia, to Germany anytime soon because the cost of transport is just too obscene and the, the facilities aren't there. But on oil, I don't know. Am I, am, I, am I being too Pollyanna here? Am I being too positive? I just... Unless every single country says, and I said that Russian oil is genuinely stranded, then we have a supply crush. Mm. But if it just simply is a merry-go-round of I'll buy theirs, you buy ours, we'll buy theirs, you know, and, and we'll all pretend everything's okay, is that too cynical or too Pollyanna or is there something else going on? No, I, I get what you're saying. I, I guess the other side of it would be so when you're taking a very high-level view and stepping right mm. back and looking over a long time frame, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. But just that the dislocation in the interim can be very significant. Mm. Um, and, and, and that's... That's definitely going to have uh, an impact, and it's a question of too, like where the alliances sort of lie here as well. Like, yeah, can yeah. can you ab- can fair. can you really substitute uh, to another customer that quickly, and everyone yeah. substitute where they're ab- where they're back to where they started from? I'm sure there's going to be winners and losers in all of that. Yeah. Uh, but for any length of time, though, like even if that's true, and I agree with you, doesn't I mean it's a global supply chain. At some point, someone says, I need, a, I need a ship of oil. Where can I get it from? Yeah. And someone else says, I've got a spare ship of oil. Who wants it? I mean, that that's it's not instant, but it's not it's not months, is it? Uh, I, I, yeah, well, potentially it is. So there's an embargo okay. on, on, on oil now. Uh, I mean, it depends. This is why it's so difficult, this kind of stuff, because, mm. I mean, this is – this is a, a situation that is changing by the minute, you know. So it feels it feels reckless to sort of put anything out there with any any certainty. But um, I just it, 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 add up all of the the oil that goes to the west from Russia, mm. and they go and they go. The west goes. We don't. We're not having it anymore. Yeah. yeah. And then they so Russia turns around and goes. Okay. Well, we'll just find another market. And I'm like, well, can you? To, to, to the same level. Yeah. I, I actually, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not au fait with the global oil industry supply demand balances <laughs> to know off the, off the top of my head. Yeah, but I, yeah. I do wonder because that, that is, you know, the West is, is a massive, massive, massive market. Is, is Africa mm, going to pick mm. up the slack? Southeast yeah. Asia going to pick up the slack? I, I, I don't know. China? I, I don't know. I, I, don't I, know. I agree with you, except that I don't think the oil is going to be stranded. That's my point, right? Not everyone has said we're not going to take Russian oil anymore. Mm. And like until that oil literally has no customers, it's just potentially a bit of a merry-go-round, a bit of a I'll buy from I'll buy from you, you buy from them, and we'll all be fine. As opposed mm. to, you know, I, I completely take your point. If the oil is stranded at sixteen percent of the world's oil and gas, if it literally stranded in Russia, then yeah, we've got a supply issue. Yeah, I just I even the UK said, oh, by the end of twenty twenty two. I mean that's nine months. Like, 
I don't know. It, it strikes me that, and you, know, we, you mentioned the S&P 500. Um, the other thing I was asked on, on radio this morning was, how, how is it possible that the market had a good day uh, given how bad everything else is going? And, and my answer was because the market previously thought it was going to be even worse. Mm. And so less bad is enough to see share prices rise. And I think yep. the same is probably true for commodity prices. And I just, I wonder whether in the current context, how many, how many oil traders like, eh, it won't be so bad. Let's not push the price up. It's all kind of like, you know, battle stations, hell's going to break loose. Then we kind of go, oh, I mean, it wasn't that bad actually. No, it worked out okay. Oil's back down to whatever. The petrol price falls to $1.70 and we're like, remember we said, you know, or even had an experience of for a couple of weeks, petrol at two fifty. I don't know. I, maybe I'm being too optimistic, mate, but I have half a hunch that there's a decent amount of overreaction happening in financial markets right now. Uh, there, there always is. I mean, imagine there's a huge storm so-called coming. So-called experts, by the way. Yeah, so-called. There's, there's yeah. a massive storm coming. It's going to be just going to rain relentlessly like it has recently. There's yeah. a place in town that's that's selling umbrellas and everyone hears the weather forecast and goes, right, i got to buy an umbrella. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone goes, oh, there's just not really much to go around and then the prices just go through the roof. Now, someone could be sitting there going, eh, the rain will be over in a few days. Like, what's the difference? Prices will go back normally. Mm-hmm. And be 100% right. But you're still left without an umbrella during the, the mm. tough times. So there are yeah. there, there, there are uh, there is a rationality mm. to it all. Mm. And mm. and the other thing is that I find fascinating with these with markets is that it's 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 very game theory kind of stuff. So mm. these traders yes, aren't they're not thinking what's going to happen in nine months. Right. They're, they're thinking that oh this is happening right <laughs> now. What are those people over there going to do? Oh, well, no. they're probably going to do this, so I should yeah, do yeah. that. And then it happens, and then it's self-fulfilling. I mean, it's just—it's sort of—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a herd-like behavior. It really um, is. And and it's, it's just—it's just. It's just what a it bluff is. and double bluff, right? I, what, what do I think he's going to do? What does he think I'm going to do? Yeah. What does he think I'm going to think he's going to do? What do I think he's going to? Yeah, it's just—it's as you said, I, I love your phrase, turtles all the way down. It's not—it's it's not mine. It's up, but yeah, if, if you stop yeah. and think about it, it's like. This day makes no sense. It, does, it doesn't make <laughs> it's any sense. It's a little bit silly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we have to remember. I think it's a good, it's a worthwhile thing remembering every now and again yeah. that yep. no one knows what the hell they're doing. <laughs> no one. That is, we are all point. making this up as we go along, right? <laughs> and and building the plane as we're flying it, as they as they said during the COVID crisis. Oh uh, yeah, like it, 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 it's so true. It's so true. Mm. And then you look at that at an institutional level and just. <laughs> Levels of abstraction yep. all the way. Just, yep, we yep, live yep. in a mad, chaotic world, you know. There's just the order and rationality <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. we all crave and demand and get frustrated by the lack of. Mm. It's just, it's it'll never go away. It never go away. It's it's yeah. just it's just how it is. So I stop trying to make sense of it. Yeah, stop stop trying to make sense of it. I, I get the frustration, but as I, as mm, I say, mm. it's kind of this is this is your job. This is why I love investing, <laughs> Scott. It, it's because we've we've all got our own little view of the world. Yeah. And like, there's a, there's a there's an objective reality out there somewhere. But but <laughs> whatever right. whatever is in my head is yeah. is is at best just a close approximation to it, mm. and could mm. be a massive divergent. And you multiply yeah, that yeah. by seven billion, right? And and so in, investing is about those who have the. This is why I love it because it's so much more about. <laughs> it's not just about money and trying to make bets on things going up. It's about mm. who's got mm. the best model of the world. Yeah. And and because if you do have a really good model of the world, uh, and you can understand how it works, at least yeah. no one will perfectly, at least better than most, you can do extraordinarily well. It's just it's just intellectually mm-hmm. fascinating. So part of my response to all of the things you're sort of saying is, yeah, that's true. But part of my model is that this yeah. is how humans yeah. behave, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. will always behave. And so it's sort of folded into it. But again, this is the huge advantage because. 
And I'm glad you sort of mentioned these things. So, yeah, but what about in 2023? Or it was like, well, yeah, that's that's exactly the point. What about then? Mm, 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 and yeah. and if you can if you can keep your calm when everyone else is losing their heads, if you can mm-hmm. look a little bit further beyond the horizon than when everyone else mm. is looking, if you can treat all of these swings as as opportunities, they just wow. <laughs> it's a massive thing. It's a massive Mate, thing. Reword some of that. You've written the poem If by Rudyard Kipling, which I quite like. Well done. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I've read it in my envelope. It's great. Oh, it's awesome. Oh, isn't it brilliant? Isn't it brilliant? Look, Google so it. Google it and look it up. But, but I, I've got to, so, so I, you know, I, I don't know what my point is. My, my point, my point okay. is, is that <laughs> I think as an investor, you need to stand, you need to sort of look at what's going on mm-hmm. now, ask mm-hmm. yourself the questions why. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, Stop reacting to other people's reactions. Stop trying to figure out what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, because it's just a mugs game. Um, uh, understand the major drivers at play. Understand that you're never going to get it perfectly right. And this is best. It's yeah. a question of generally right as opposed to specifically mm-hmm. wrong. And 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 then and then lay your lay your bets right. Like that's that's what it's all about. So mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> the point of my rant I like was I just, oh, I, like, I, I, just like I hear what you're saying. I don't, I, I, yes, in a perfect world, everything should work itself out and it should, but it's not going to, um, it's going to be very messy. It's going to be very, very uncertain. And this is the other thing, right? So the moment everyone's going, oh, this is happening in the world now. <laughs> I need to reposition my portfolio. And it's just, that was it, my next question. Go yeah. And, and it makes sense, right? So wheat's going through the roof. Oh, maybe yeah. I should, maybe I should buy an agricultural company. You know, maybe I should avoid Corp. bread companies, yep. right? Because, yep. yep. you know, they, their cost, unit cost has just gone up. You know, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. of these things. But I think that's very, very, very dangerous kind of thinking because- Tell me why. Well, be, be, because you're, you're trying to bet on first order issues that are, are very dynamic, very hard to predict, very volatile, mm-hmm. um, and will very likely normalize at, at a point. That's what commodities do. They generally speaking trade a little bit above the cost of production, just enough to make an economic, an economic incentive to do it. Mm. Because if all of a sudden wheat stays at, a, at the current price, Guess what? Every single farmer in the world does. They they plant wheat, right? Why wouldn't you? Why why am I growing tea leaves over here for right, right, right. you know three percent margin? I can grow wheat at a fifty percent margin, and yeah. then what does that do? Well, that just brings the price down. So again, <laughs> I, I I feel as though people people have this this first order thinking, which makes a huge amount of sense. X is happening, mm-hmm. therefore mm-hmm. Y will happen. The trouble yep. with it is is that every other person has already had that thought. <laughs> you know, let's let's be honest here. You're you're unlikely to be the first person to have had. This thought, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do you know? Plus, by the way, by the time it's gone through, not, not only is it uh, actually that's the reality of planting wheat, but even at a market level, yeah, the, the price, the share price, already allow for that higher price in the first place. So even if they don't plant any more extra wheat, yeah, the current supply demand is already reflected in the current price. So even absent a supply response, which is always going to be, as you always say, like literally that. always. Yeah, but even if there wasn't, for some really strange weird reason, the market's already factored in that higher price, so the upside's gone. So at at best. You get no upside. At worst, you get significant downside when the supply response hits, or simply the demand problem goes away, or the supply bottlenecks go away. There's there's a dozen ways it could it could kind of go back to some sort of normal. Yeah. Um. You mentioned mean reversion earlier, and that's kind of the story, right? The, the commodity cycles are cycles for a reason. Buying at the top of these things because they're already going up or have gone up, I just got almost the, the very worst way you can approach it. Surely. Uh, it's it's crazy. So I had a bit of a discussion on Strawman this week, actually. People sort of wondering about this kind of stuff but it, I, mm, you know mm. it kind of feels like particularly again in small cap tech land 
A lot of mm. positions are drop fifty percent, and then people go, oh, "I might need to switch into something defensive." It's like it's happened. <laughs> it's happened. It's gone. It's done. You know, exactly. it's like now's the worst yep. time. Yep. Yep. Potentially, yep. I mean, again, case by case basis. Some of those, yeah. some stocks will have fallen fifty percent and still be very expensive. But it's kind of like <laughs> it's a very, yeah. it's a very rational sounding kind of move. Mm, mm, but it's mm. like it. Well, you should have done it before this happened. Now it's now it's kind of so so so. Generally, what happens when when we do have these big corrections, the, mm. the more defensive stocks hold up a lot better. They don't fall as far. Yeah, yeah. And and um and the, you know, the more speculative growth oriented ones, they 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 fall much further. So the market's down eight percent. I can mm-hmm. tell you, my portfolio is down a hell of a lot more than that. Yeah. Um. Uh. But at the same time. When we come out the other side of it, which are the stocks that perform the best? It's not the ones that only dipped ten percent. Right, exactly. So what what you see is people see these big moves, they react by putting all of their money into these hyper defensive things that have relatively held up yep. well. But then when we come out the other side, that you get you get double burnt. You cop the loss on 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 the downside, and then you miss the biggest rebound on the upside. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's about trying to do it? What's about trying to do is trying to well, it's investing through revision mirror, right? That's that's the point. Yes. You can't you just can't do it that way. Yep. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. I'm fascinated though, I want to I want to quickly touch on your point about the model of the world. And I've been increasingly frustrated on different forums over the last uh, couple of weeks. Some internal, some external. Uh, no names, no pack drills. Um the tendency for us all is to form that worldview independent of circumstances and then see the world through that view, which is completely rational and normal. It's also complete, well, not rational, understandable, instinctive and normal, but actually leads you to make horrible, horrible mistakes and misjudgments. So the, the simplest example, I know we all have slightly different views on this, ethical investing, right? I think the world needs to adopt a climate change. Therefore, I think renewable energy companies will do well. Mm. And it's that that, that mm. false linkage between those two concepts. It drives me bananas. Yep. We see it with um, uh, Russia on, on Twitter, like really different, not not about economics or finance specifically, but you know, um, I, I think I think Putin is mad. Therefore, the world will end. Mm. So, well, not honestly, not necessarily. Like there's you know there's no there's no there's no reality just because you and it's not even the world view. It's the it's the it's the way we hope the world will be. Mm. But then we pro- project that into and therefore dot, dot, dot. You know, I, I think wind energy is the future. Therefore, I buy in these shares. It's like, mm. well, maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right, but these companies don't make any money. Maybe you're right, no companies ever make any money like all other energy producers almost ever for the last, you know, mm. <laughs> energy companies have been terrible investments for the last 50 years. Um, and I just, I, it's just, I don't, I don't, I wish I could encapsulate it better, mate. So I'm going to ask you to do that for me because I can't, but- that 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 idea of just being really cl- really careful as an individual investor, that yes, have a worldview, but keep that worldview entirely rational based on what's actually happening, what's likely to happen. Mm. You know, the people who are most useful to me are the people who say, "I wish this wasn't true, but here's what I think." Mm. Mm. Because that's the group I know are separating out what they hope will happen, the the Disney version of the world of you mm. know uh, princesses and, and and fairy tales, and say, so, you know what. I really, really, so I'll give you an example. This is not a view I hold. I really, really hope the climate change is dealt with, but I think AGL is a great investment. Mm. You know, if you can hold those two views in your head at the same time, you are much more valuable to me than almost anybody else. Yeah. Because the person who says, I think I think EVs are the future and therefore I'm buying Tesla, they might be right. But the gap between 
Are they right about that view? Is that the right impl implication? Is there money to be made? Those are extra degrees of difficulty that just aren't captured in that first order view. And I'm not saying people who think that's true can't also analyse Tesla and think it's worth buying. Yeah. And I'm not saying the AGL is definitely worth buying. I'm not saying be contrarian either. I'm just saying the people who are most useful to me are ones who say, this is what I would choose given the choice. This is how I wish life was in a certain circumstances. However, reality seems different to me. This is what I think the reality is. And I just individually, yeah. corporately as a group, just be careful to separate those two thoughts, right? You've got to be so clear-eyed and not let your biases, preferences, prejudices, wishes, um, and on the other side, by the way, don't, don't be too cynical. Don't let your cynicism, you know, I, 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 a lot of people who, I'm not going to get into crypto again, but a lot of the whole, you know, fiat, fiat currency is over group or the, you know, world governments are going to end group or, mm. you know, beans and shotguns group. Don't let that view of, you know, the, the jaundiced view, either in a positive or a negative sense of the world, yeah. impact that, that short, medium term, uh, no, I hear. you know, implication on the market. No, I, I hear you. So I, I agree. Um, so I think you, you need to, it's really a latticework of models. There's no, there's no model. That's yep. out there that capped. But, you know, I, I've got a view on, you know, hard fought over many years mm. <laughs> of reading and in the market, you know, that commodity businesses tend to be pretty bad. Um, yep. I've got a view that sort of the unit economics of a business matter a hell of a lot. You know, and so there's, there's thousands of different sort of thoughts and processes that all go together that layer on that that high level view and then you you've yeah. got to follow all of that through so you so i think you can hold seemingly um discordant views with one mm. another mm. um uh so that's the first thing i'd say um the other thing i'd say and i think this is this is this is super important is that if this is sounding really hard and you're basically saying andrew that i need to be an expert in economics and geopolitics <laughs> and business models and they're just like yep actually that's Pretty true. Um, you yeah. need you need to have a you need to have a investing goes well beyond the realms of spreadsheets and discounted cash flow models. So like, true, man. You know you need. By, by the way, because everyone can do that. That's, that's it's not necessarily easy to learn, but it's the easiest part of investing. Because oh yeah, it's easy. Putting yeah. putting the putting the, yeah, putting the models in a pre existing formula. Oh, that that's not hard. Bam, <laughs> that, easy. There's no value added in that process. Easy. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. I mean, unfamiliar at first, Sorry but once, once you get it, it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. go to a yeah. website. There'll, there'll be a yep. one you punch in some numbers. But you got to, mm -hmm. why are you punching in those numbers and, and what yep. plausibility do you have? But the point, the point I'm making is that even with all of that, you are going to come across a lot of situations, most situations. I'll use myself mm -hmm. as the example. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Vast majority of situations where I just <laughs> actually, the answer is I'm not sure. Yeah. And we feel, particularly if you're a, a pundit in this as you are, you or I are, the, you know, Steve Price will get you on 2GB and say, Scott, explain all this kind of stuff to me. It's just like, geez, you know, I, I, there are the, the true and honest answer for a lot of us is I don't know. But God, you look stupid if you say that kind of stuff. But I think as a private investor, that is, they're the three most important world, words you, you, you can utter because, because uh, I don't think we can be experts and have a clear, high conviction yeah. view on it. We just can't. Yeah. So it's Buffett talks about this all of the time. He, talk, he uses the term circle of competence. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if, if you find the things that you feel as though you do have a good understanding of, that you are high conviction on, that aren't dependent right. on a variety of <laughs> of, of hyper volatile random factors. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and then and then as Charlie Munger says, swing you bum, swing. Yeah. You know, yeah. like when when you get when when you you stay within the areas you feel you've got some kind of an edge. And for most of 
the time you'll be sitting on the sidelines just waiting, 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 waiting. It feels so terrible because all your friends and neighbours are getting rich and potentially. But then but then when you do have – and they're, they're, uh, for me, they'd be, I'd be lucky if it's sort of once or twice a year, like a big idea like that comes mm-hmm. along. But when you do, when that happens – Go for it. You know what I mean. Like uh, it's it's it spot spot your opportunity and just be be very honest with yourself and what you do and don't know and what you can and can't be confident of. And then mm-hmm. even once you've made that decision, with all the, the feeling as though the reasoning's all been sound and you've thought it all through, and then something happens that proves that you're wrong. Again, this won't be the share price per se. It'll probably be yeah. other things. But when that, get the hell out! Oh, I was wrong. You're going to be wrong all the time, you know. That's 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 what I would say. So mm-hmm. so this I bring it full circle to where we started talking about. So you, we've got this current environment that we're in at the moment. All prices are shooting higher, other commodity prices, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What do I do? Well, I know I'm not getting into anything. This is again each their own. You you do you, but for me, it's just like well, that, that's still not incentive for me to get into some of these commodity spaces because I've got no real edge there, and I find it a very 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 difficult kind of spot. So I don't I don't do anything um, uh, in that regard. Or if I do, I'm trying to sort of look, as you do, over a multi kind of year period and just yep. what has changed in regard to all of that. So, um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be sitting on – I'm actually – I have been sitting on my hands really. There's, 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 I've made a few little tweaks and adjustments and stuff recently, but I just – it's very confusing out there and I don't feel as though I need to have a high definitive answer on how it's going to go because, because why, why gamble? on something that I'm not sure of. Yep. I think that's true. I, I'm just, I guess my, my, my point is, I, I think that's absolutely right. My point is just slightly different where the what I think I'm sure of owes more to my personal prejudice or preferences than it does to a clear-eyed view of the stats. Well, that's, that's what I'm that's, just trying, trying to remind our listeners to just be a little bit careful. If your investment opportunities happen to align with how you hope the world will be in future, yeah. just make sure that that hope, I hope it can be real, right? If, but, but check to make sure that those things you hope are true actually have a serious foundation in reality and are likely. So you talked about expected value earlier, that probability thing, right? Mm. I hope like hell there is no coal-fired power in Australia in 15 years. Mm. Is it going to be the case? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. It, you know, do I, should I should I go on short every coal company? Well, turns out if I'd done that over the last six months, that would have been a terrible idea mm. because there's a shortage of coal around the world. The coal price has gone through the roof. Yeah. So, you know, did I allow for that in my expectation of, well, I think in 50 years there'll be no more coal? No, I didn't. Yeah. I, and I couldn't have. And that's almost kind of the point. So just, just be careful about those views that happen to align with how you hope the world will be. If, if, you're, if your internal Pollyanna uh, lines up with, with, your, with your internal, I don't know what the, uh, the rational actor would be, uh, your internal Mr. Spock, let's, let's change genres <laughs> for a second, then just, just ask yourself the question, how sure can I be that I'm being clear-eyed about this versus letting Pollyanna kind of pull the wall over, over Spock's uh, eyes? Look, the, the, the easiest person in the world to fool is yourself. You know? Yeah, I love that. I, so, so for me, it's it's um, what I really try and work on as an investor is is the actual process itself. Yeah, yeah. So we all focus on the specific stocks and what we're holding in our portfolios, mm, and yeah, mm. it's all good and well. But I think for me, it's it's more trying to get a clear eye, honest view of the process that I'm following. Because if I've got I a good, that, pro- you can have a great process, right? Yeah. But no process is perfect. The best analogy is the loaded coin. Here's a coin. It'll. I, I can tell you the way it's built. It will land head seventy percent of the time. Yep. Um, now, once you've got that, you just flip, 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 flip as much as you, as much as you possibly can. 
It doesn't really matter if I get 10 uh, tails in a row. Right. You know? yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm still going to yeah. do it. Yeah. And, and this is, and so, so for me, I'm, I'm mindful that I'm an easy person to, to fool for myself. I'm, I'm going to be less than perfect vision on a whole bunch of stuff and a whole bunch of yeah. stuff I don't know. Yeah. But, but the, the, the thing that I work on over the years and I'm, I've come a long way in the last 10 and hopefully we'll come mm-hmm. a lot further in the next 10 mm-hmm. is just that process. Really, really simply, what what am I looking to do here? Don't don't <laughs> shut up with your buy low or sell high. Like Love it. get yeah, the hell yeah. out. Yeah. Bugger yeah. off. Yeah. That is totally useless. So what kind of companies am I buying? What are the characteristics I'm looking for? What what how do I get a sense of value? Mm. How do I weigh that up against other opportunities? How do I put that all together in in a portfolio? I mean, these are mm. these are the things that are mega important to me. What are the checklists that I have in place? What are the things that I will will prompt me to sell my get out and do it? When you've got these, when you've got a very very good process, it actually makes the decision making easier. So rather than falling into all of these, beha- well, you're always going to fall into some of these behavioural traps, but but you'll be far less susceptible to it when you just sort of say, look. My process got me into this thing, but it's a good process and it's telling me to get out now, despite yep. all of the, 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 the yep. you know, resistance to crystallizing a loss and recognizing I was wrong and doing mm-hmm. all the rest of it. That, that is what you need to work on rather than, rather than a too narrow a focus on individual outcomes. Process, process, process. Love it, mate. Let's finish off with a bit of a laugh. I uh, noted a tweet this morning. Uh, I think I retweeted it. I can't remember. Uh, I did retweet it, actually. Uh, Dogecoin is worth nearly 15 times more than the Russian ruble. So th- this is according the, to the Twitter account Uberfacts. Based on its exchange with the US dollar ASU. I assume that's the base. I don't know for sure. I they don't they haven't linked to the rationale. They've just made the statement. But let's call it 10 times. Let's call it five times. Let's call it two times. Let's call it the same value as. Yeah. Or the same, uh, yeah, same, same worth to use their phrase. Uh, it's a hell of a, a hell of a world we're in, isn't it? Oh man. Well, I think that's more a comment on the ruble than it is on Dogecoin, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's both. I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, what's it? Even, I'm, I'm not sure which should be worth less. Quite honestly, like uh, a joke cryptocurrency or a joke currency. Uh, they're both kind of you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how you. I don't know how you value either of them, right? Honestly, um, it's, but- a, it's 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 a yeah. As you say though, it's a it's a comment on the world, isn't it? I I did tweet mate about it, so just uh, I, I remembered, um, and I. I just, just for just for a little bit of fun. So the, again, the quote because it's important uh, is Dogecoin is worth nearly fifteen times more than the Russian ruble, and I I, I retweeted it and said worth in their quotes. And then for those Princess Bride fans, I said, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Uh, and my point here is that, and this is just a bit of a sideline, but it's a funny, it's, it's, I mean, I guess what the Dogecoin is worth versus the ruble, but it, it's a, it's a, it's just a reminder that they say worth as in the value of it. And we all know, you and I know, and hopefully our listeners all know that they're talking about the price, yeah. not the worth, right? Yeah. Is, the, is the ruble worth more or less? I don't know. Is Dogecoin worth more or less? I don't know. But what they're really comparing here is the price of two things. Yeah. And Enron shares were at one point selling for $100 a share. Were they worth $100? Objectively, no. Did we know that at the time? No. So I'm not, I'm not bagging anyone here. But the difference between the price of something that's worth can be a very, very, very large thing or not. In fact, every time we buy shares, we're buying shares that we think are worth more than they're currently selling for. So I just kind of made that little bit of a, it was a little bit snarky, but trying to have a bit of fun with it as well and remind people that, you know what, worth, nah, maybe, you know, the price of it, sure. The worth, not so sure. What did did Mark Twain say? Um, A fool is someone who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. I like that a lot. It's probably, I will get some tweets now because it it was totally not Mark Twain, but it's a great great saying whoever said it. (laughs) 
if, if it's not, it should have been. And uh, Twain has been, uh, in this case, mate, you might actually be right, only because Twain has been uh, quoted saying a, 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 about four or five times as many things as he actually said. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, uh, you're, not, you're not alone here in, in, if, you've, if you've misattributed it. Uh, you're in very, very good company. So we'll, uh, we'll, I'll let you get away with that one. I won't even look it up. How about that? Because the podcast is almost at an end. Yep. Mate, will you come back on Sunday? You know it. Wouldn't miss it. Awesome. Look forward to it. I'll talk to you then. In the All meantime, right. thanks for listening. Hey, send us a mailbag. Info at fool.com.au. Hit me up. Uh, direct message me at TMF Scott P on Twitter or Insta. Hit me up at Scott Phillips Money. So facebook.com slash Scott Phillips Money on Facebook. Send us our direct messages there. If you want to follow Andrew, do exclusively on Twitter at sage underscore Simeon or at strawman invest. And we'll cover some of those questions you've got on Sunday. Full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.